We are kicking off our semester tonight. But in this series, we are so excited. I have been so excited to break this down and walk through this for the next six weeks. As you have seen on our social media, the sermon series title is Can't Stop the Feeling. And we are walking through emotions. We are walking through the emotions that we experience And we're going to talk about how to process and manage them biblically. This is obviously huge for your generation, for my generation, because one of the most mysterious things about being human is navigating the emotions that we experience because we experience them a lot daily. In fact, how we begin our day can very much change as how we end our day based on how we feel. And in fact, if you look at our culture and our media Do you guys think that feelings are a big deal in our culture today? I heard a few yeses. I appreciate that. We've talked about being loud in church. We're catching up. Man, do y'all think feelings are a big deal in our culture today? Man, I'm telling you, listen, there are countless songs about feelings. Every year, there is a number one hit song that is all about just catching a feeling, just chasing a high and fighting and avoiding the lows. I mean, feelings are all over our culture, and the reason why is because it's very mysterious. What we do is we chase certain feelings. We run from certain feelings. If it was up to us, if we're honest in here tonight, I think we would like to be happy 24-7. We would love to never be fearful or anxious again in our lives. And there's something mysterious about the way we feel. There's something mysterious about our emotions. Um, Now, I wrote this down. Not only do we struggle navigating our own emotions, but we also spend hours wondering what other people's are. And this is where we get a little honest. Sometimes we love to wonder how other people truly feel about us. Am I right? Have you ever had a, a... a crush, someone that you like, someone that you eyeball, and you're wondering if they're feeling you back. You're wondering what? One of the key ways to tell somebody that you like them is to say, man, I got feelings for you. And when they reciprocate those feelings, Sam, it's a great feeling, man. Praise the Lord. You just got a date. But man, when they don't have the same feelings, that heartache hurts, does it not? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is that Deco saying, amen? You're married, man. It worked out for you. Stop holding on to the past, Dakota. Everything has worked out. Praise the Lord. Feelings are mysterious. We spend a lot of time not just navigating our own, but trying to wonder what other people are truly feeling. They're powerful. They're mysterious. They're all over our culture today. We love to tell people in our culture, listen to your heart or do what your gut tells you. It's a weird way to make decisions, to listen to an organ. Uh, We love to tell people to do whatever feels right. Do you believe that's a dangerous way to live? Woo, thank you. I appreciate that. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but on average... For you and me, we make 35,000 decisions a day, big and small. On average, we make 35,000 decisions a day. Now watch this. With every single one of those decisions that we make comes an emotion that influenced that decision. 35,000 decisions a day, just on average. So you imagine the emotions that go into influencing what we choose to do or to say or how to act. Now what's very fascinating by your generation and mine right now is that in 2020, March, specifically, a pandemic occurred, and we all went into lockdown. And for a lot of us, that happened during some of the most pivotal, definitive times in our life. It happened when we were really learning how to navigate emotions, conflict, communication. And a lot of us, because of the pandemic, were put in isolation. There is, an, there is a generation right now going through college that has not learned how to not only understand their emotions, but how to express them and how to communicate them. And during that time of the COVID pandemic, you remember as well as I do, it was so much confusion, it was so much hurt, it was so much death, 
And there was so much isolation. And I think many of us are still carrying some effects from that time period. I've been very motivated to preach on this topic because over the years I've noticed that there are many wise preachers who have preached on leadership. There are many wise preachers who have preached on taking thoughts captive. There are incredible resources and sermons out there on how to lead a D group. There's incredible sermons out there on how to find a spouse in a biblical way. But I'll tell you what's very hard to find are sermons and solid biblical teaching on understanding emotions and how to navigate them biblically. Now, for me in college when I was 21, I would have loved to have a study like this, to walk through the Bible and start to figure out why I felt the way I felt at 21 years old, why I succeeded in the things I felt like I succeeded in, and why I struggled in the things that I struggled in. And man, I pray that this series sheds some light for you to be able to grow and be able to take some steps forward. Right now, you said it, we live in a time where feelings are not just something, they're everything. Feelings are, in a lot of ways, for a lot of people your age and mine, the deciding factor in how we make decisions and in how we treat people. We make a lot of our decisions based on how we feel. We choose paths of life based on how we feel, and that's a dangerous, slippery slope. And for some of us, we grew up in a home where we never learned how to biblically express our emotions and you want to be the one who changes that generational line to have vulnerability and to be able to speak and to be able to talk. So I pray that we find some answers to this. Now, I hope that you have some notes that you have. If you have a journal or your phone or whatever, I want you to go ahead and take some notes for me tonight because I have some things I want to send you home with from the Bible. The first thing I want you to write down is the title. The title of the message tonight is A God Who Feels, Part 1. A God Who Feels, Part 1. And what we're going to begin to do biblically is we're going to begin over the next six weeks to lay some groundwork here on what the Bible says about not just our emotions, because remember, every sermon, we're not the hero. Every life group, we're not the hero. Every sermon in every life group and every day that we live, Jesus is the hero. What matters most is what God feels and what Jesus feels, because if we don't know what God feels and what Jesus feels and what their emotions look like, we're comparing ourselves to the world. We're not comparing ourselves to a holy father. We want how we feel to align with God at the end of the day. There's no point in understanding all the emotions you have if they're not aligning with God, because you can understand all of them and still be a tangled wreck. But understanding them is the first step to being able to align them with the Lord so that you and I can live in a godly way. So this is the title of God Who Feels Part One. Now, we have talked about being loud in church all night, and this is going to be a continued narrative all year long as we get excited about worship, as we get excited about prayer, and as we get excited about God's Word. So here's what I want you to do. What we do at The View every week that we open God's Word is when we tell you the passage we're breaking down, that's one of the times that we cheer, and here's why. There's no power in just a preacher. There's no power in a ministry. There's no power in a sweatshirt. There's no power in the room. The life-changing power exists in God's word. When God's word gets into you, it begins to change your life. And that, to me, is worth celebrating. I don't know about you. To me, that's worth getting excited for, throwing my hands up, cheering, and making some noise for. So listen, here's what I want you to do. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 may take you a minute to find it. It is in the Old Testament. Ezekiel was a major prophet of the Old Testament, a very important book in the Old Testament because it very much leads to a lot of prophecies that happen in the New Testament. So I'm going to give you a moment to find it. Ezekiel chapter 36. 
And while you're turning in your Bible, let me tell you a little background on Ezekiel. Here's what you need to know. Ezekiel was a major prophet, and he is prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah while they are incarcerated in Babylon. So they are held captive. They are prisoners. This is a tough situation for God's people. And Ezekiel is the voice of God. He is the one speaking for God to God's people. All throughout the Old Testament, God would continue to raise up prophets who would speak to his people on his behalf. These prophets were just as broken as you and I were. Moses, I mean, all of them, you go down the list, they had their own brokenness. King David, as amazing as King David, as we know, had all of his own brokenness too. Yet God chose to use broken vessels to communicate his truth to his people. That's that's what's happening here in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is telling Judah while they're in captivity that, hey, there is a hope coming. There is restoration coming. There is a great reconciliation to be had between God and his people. Even though they've been in sin and even though they've been taken into captivity, there's a great restoration coming. Now, the question you have to ask is, number one, God is amazing. To even have that grace and that mercy on his people throughout the Old Testament, to have grace and mercy on you and me today is amazing. But how does what Ezekiel tells the nation of Israel thousands of years ago apply to you and me From an emotional standpoint, here's how. Because the Bible is not just a historical account. It is God's word. It is perfect and it is fully inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And so God is communicating things to us. What we have to do is we have to look at what Ezekiel says. And then in light of what he told God's people at that time, we must look at the New Testament to see what applies specifically for you And for me, because there are promises in the Old Testament that don't directly apply to you and me today. They were for God's people. So we have to take what Ezekiel says and then look at the New Testament and see how it applies to you and me in this era. Now, here's what's cool. What Ezekiel is going to say is he's prophesying about the new covenant that's going to come. God has had this covenant in the Old Testament with his people, but a new covenant is coming. And that is prophesying the Messiah, that there is a Savior coming. And that there is going to be a new covenant. And with that, some things are going to slightly change because Jesus is going to do some amazing things. Two of those things you need to understand as we read this Bible are this, this passage. Number one is that Ezekiel is going to talk about the heart. He's going to talk about emotions. He's going to talk about feelings. But number two, he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he's going to talk about where the Holy Spirit is going to reside in our New Testament era Once Jesus has died, risen from the grave, and ascended into heaven. This is an incredible moment in Scripture. And I pray that we approach it with the same awe we approach any passage in the Bible. So look with me, if you will. We're going to look at Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. This is Ezekiel 36, verse, God bless you, 26 and 27. I'll start reading in verse 26. God says this to Ezekiel. He says to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And look at this. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow and carefully observe my ordinances. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, you are a good God, and we are broken sinners. Lord, not one of us in here has anything put together apart from you. We are a mess. 
our thoughts tend to go everywhere, our emotions tend to go everywhere, and yet you still love us and you pursue us. And Lord, I thank you that we are able to even be here tonight, that we're not stuck in the house, that we were able to get here safely and we were able to worship you. And God, I do pray now that you would anoint this night, that you would anoint this message, that you would speak so clearly, that in our hearts in this room, we would have barriers, strongholds, and limitations broken because of the shed blood of Jesus. I pray, Lord, in this room that as we have a generation that is confused on what to feel and how to feel, that we would come to your word and find that there is no lack in the clarity that you provide. Lord, I pray that we would draw near to you tonight humbly with open hearts and open hands and open minds, seeking for you to speak to us in a fresh and powerful way. Lord, I pray that you would soften our heart. Lord, I pray that you would call us closer to you. And I pray for anyone in here who walked in in a storm that you will continue to show yourself faithful to them. And Lord, I pray for anybody in here who doesn't have a real personal relationship with Jesus, that they would begin that tonight. Father, this is our prayer. We ask that you would speak every word. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Well, hey, let's dive in. I've got three things for you tonight. They're all questions. They're questions that you guys ask a lot to me and to my team over the years. These are questions that we always get. Whenever we do a Q&A, we always get these questions about emotions, and we're going to go straight to God's Word to answer each one of them. And so here's the first one. Number one, what does God feel? The first question that we have to take away from this text in Ezekiel is what does God feel? God is talking to his people and telling them that he's going to replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. I'm going to describe exactly what those two translations really mean here in a moment. God is talking about replacing a cold heart with a warm heart. God's talking about the heart. So what does God feel? What are the emotions of God? Over the last few days, I've asked certain college students, I've asked, hey, do you think God has emotions? And sometimes there's mixed answers. I've asked, hey, do you think emotions are good or bad? And there's been mixed answers, everything in between. Ultimately, a lot of us don't really know what the Bible says about emotions. This is what I want to pose to you. One of our big problems about navigating our own is that we're really uninformed about God's emotions. We really don't know how he feels. We really don't know why he feels. What I want to ask you is, what if the reason why you and I are so tangled up and confused is because we don't understand him? Before you and I can understand you and me, we have to understand him first. (laughs) Listen, I can give you all the self-help stuff in the world about how to conquer fear and all these things, but at the end of the day, You and I have got to understand who God is and why he does what he does. And here's the one that's not talked about a lot in church, why he feels what he feels, (laughs) why he feels the emotions we see in scripture. So let's begin to walk through this and we're going to look at the Trinity. So buckle up. I'm excited. None of that was in my notes, so I got to find exactly where I was. I just went off on all that by myself. Boom, here we go. There are religions that believe God is cold and God is absent. You have to understand that in your society, there are belief systems that believe God does not have emotions. There are people walking around who believes that we might have a creator, but he is distant and he is not involved in his creation. On the flip side of that, there are religions that believe that your feelings are God. Did you hear what I say for a minute? What I said, listen, there's, there's a wide spectrum here. Every day that you go to work, every day that you go to your campus, understand there are people there who believe that their feelings are God, and there are people who believe that God doesn't even have any feelings. There's everything in between. 
And then there's some Christians like you and me who struggle to really understand biblically what emotions does God have. Now, if you study history, it's very fascinating that if you look over the course of the last thousands of years, especially with the early church, emotions have not been popular the way that they are today. The songs that we sing today, the movies, the TV shows that we see, this has not been the case throughout history. And one of the reasons why even today, 2,000 years later, we're still so confused on how to feel is because of confusion and mistakes from thousands of years ago. Even in the early church days, when you study the history of feelings and emotions, in the early church days, emotions were viewed with suspicion. They were viewed very suspicious. It's not like in our culture today where people tell you what you feel is what's right. In some of the early days, it was viewed with suspicion, and here's why. They had a strong view on the sinful nature of humanity, which is a great thing. We are all sinful completely, dead in our sin apart from God. But with that came the notion that emotions were part of the body, and because of that, they believed that you should suppress and deny all emotions that you felt. That the only answer was to deny and suppress. That they had to be sinful. They must be of the flesh since it was something they felt in their body. And since the body is sinful, they must push it down and push it away. And that was a lot of the response early on in the early church. The super religious at that time were skeptical of their body telling them anything from an emotional standpoint. However, when you look at Scripture as a whole, your body is a temple of the living God. Your body was created in an amazing way by God, right? So there's some, there's some brokenness in this belief, but now you trace history a little bit more. Throughout the Middle Ages, they did not encourage the expression of emotions publicly. It was wild when you study some of that time period. They would, they would sometimes encourage the expression of emotions like privately, like in a very like set-aside way at a set-aside time, but displaying emotions publicly was not popular during the Middle Ages. If you look at a time like the Renaissance and Enlightenment periods, at that time there's begin to shift. The emotions, being emotional was viewed as irrational. It was viewed as being unreliable. It was that, hey, you need to be rational, you need to think clearly, and your emotions are just in the way of that. So if you can get those away from you, you can be a better person and a clearer thinker. And this belief led in, in a, to a decline in how often emotions were talked about in religious practices. The emphasis at that time was on being intellectual. It was on having a lot in your head. It was knowing, having information, being wise. It was not about what you felt or how you felt and you keep tracing this throughout history, you'll see this common denominator that over the years, emotions have not been popular, especially to talk about or to express. Now, let's jump a little bit further to you and my time not too long ago. Baby boomers, <laughs> right? When you look at America and you have this generation of baby boomers, when you study American history, baby boomers were a generation that did not believe you should express emotions. You should just put your head down and work. I had a conversation with a guy earlier who's Gen X. My dad is, is older than him by about 20 years, and I've asked my dad about it. I said, Dad, like, your generation is not very emotional, and the generation above you is definitely not emotional. I was like, why is that? And my dad would tell me. He said, I don't know, buddy. He always calls me buddy. He said, I don't know, buddy, but I know this. We didn't express emotions when I was growing up. He said, you, just, you put your head down. You go to work. You don't feel. You work. He's like, if you feel a type of way, you work. If you feel sad, go to work. If you feel tired, go to work. If you feel happy, great. You should definitely be at work, <laughs> All right? And it was not popular. Now, here's the great irony of that. Baby boomers raised a generation that ended up becoming super emotional, almost swinging to the other side where emotions are everything. Now you get to 2000, 2010, and 2020s, 
And we have been on this continual snowball effect towards emotions are not just everything, they are leading us. That emotions tell you, this is what we've got in our society, it's completely opposite. That emotions, it's not that emotions are wrong. Our society will tell you that your emotions tell you what's right and wrong. That's a big shift. That's a big swing. So both sides are wrong. It is absolutely wrong to shove emotions down, not express them, not deal with them, and try to be cold. That's, that's nowhere in Scripture. At the same time, it's not biblical at all to be led by your emotions and to make decisions by your emotions and let your emotions be the driver. So what does the Bible say about this? Because clearly in human history, we have missed it. We are suffering today still from decisions and influences in your parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. And there's nobody specific you can blame. But if you grew up in a house never knowing how to express your emotions, it's no surprise you're 21 years old and still don't know how. Listen, if you never grew up at eight years old learning how to communicate when you were scared, it's no wonder you don't know how to tell somebody you're scared of them leaving you or abandoning you or hurting you. It's no wonder we have a generation that is hurt and in a lot of ways scarred because a lot of people before us didn't always make right decisions. And there's nobody to blame, but it goes years back. The reality is... God feels. Okay, we have not said whether emotions are good or bad yet. We haven't talked about what to do with them yet. But here's the truth you need to understand. We have a God who feels. I love the worship lyric that says, we have a God who weeps. We have a God who bleeds. We have a God who feels. We have a God who has emotions and displays emotions. When you think about God in the Old Testament, he felt pleased at everything he created, Devon. Everything he created, he felt pleased with it. I don't know about you. I've, I've been with Hannah before. We've put Lego pieces together. We haven't done that many puzzles, but we've done some Lego pieces and stuff. And I felt pleased at stuff I've been able to put together. I love sermon series. And one of the reasons why I love sermon series is because I love putting together a six-week study. I love thinking about the passages. If it's going through a book, I love outlining the book. If it's topical, I like picking the topics and, and breaking this down. I love creating this, this six-week se series that ultimately leads to one thing, and that's that Jesus is king, and Jesus is good, and Jesus is alive. I love seeing, at the end of it, the culmination of God, who has given me the option to make these sermon series. I love seeing them come together. At the end of a sermon series, especially last year, I feel pleased. And it's like when I feel that emotion, I understand in a very small way what it means when God was pleased at things he created. You see that God is pleased. Have you ever felt pleased in a way where you were able to put together something, influence somebody, help somebody, and feel that satisfaction and that joy of putting something together, knowing you use the creative skills that God has blessed you with? Not just that, though, God felt disappointment. God felt disappointment at humans' rebellion. He felt disappointment at humans' sin. And then I tell you, boy, God felt delight in the Old Testament. I felt delight on my wedding day looking at Hannah. I felt delight when I got to get to go see my mom and dad because I don't live at home anymore, which that'd be weird because I'm married. I felt delight when I get to go see my mom and my dad and my sister. And in the Old Testament, you see, God feel delight when Abraham chooses to obey. 
and go up the mountain with Isaac, even though he doesn't know how it's going to play out. You see God feel delight when David is in a cave and he's scared to death, but he chooses to delight in the Lord. See, the Lord delights in us when we delight in him. Isn't that an amazing thing? We see God delight, not just that though in the Old Testament. We feel God's sadness when others in the Old Testament choose their own sinful path. We see God sad and hurt over what our, our decisions are doing to us over and over again in the Old Testament. God showed emotions. I love this verse from Zephaniah 3, verse 17. It says, the Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. And here it is, I love this. He will delight in you with singing. We have a God who feels, can I get an amen tonight? We have a God who feels. Let me ask you a question. Do we see Jesus feel in the New Testament? Appreciate that. I heard a couple of you. It'll take the semester, but we'll get there. Do we see Jesus feel in the New Testament? Jesus mourns. He doesn't just tell us. He doesn't. Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are those who mourn. But then we see Jesus, when he realizes that Lazarus is dead and he mourns, even though he's about to raise him from the dead, we see Jesus mourn. We see Jesus weep. We see Jesus praise. We see Jesus, and here's a big one, compassion. You want to talk about one of the emotions you can trace from Genesis to Revelation is compassion. You want to do a word study on emotions, trace compassion from Genesis to Revelation. Because one of the most overarching emotions from the Father to Jesus is the compassion. Jesus, when he had a blind man crying out to him, asking for help, he stops and he feels what? Compassion. Jesus felt compassion for people you and I drive by every single day. Jesus felt compassion for people you and I rarely even give a thought of mind to. Jesus felt compassion. And not just that, I love this, because Jesus, he sympathizes with you. And that's an amazing thing. All the emotions of God are pure and holy. But he, Jesus sympathizes with you. I'll tell you this, you may know this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, because of that, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Aren't you grateful that Jesus sympathizes with what you feel? Not only do we have a God who feels, we have a Savior who understands what we feel. We have a Savior who relates and sympathizes to what you and me feel. So whatever feelings you walked in the door with tonight, Jesus understands. And that's what we miss in church. It's like when we get to emotions, we say this, and then we just move on, and that's it. No, it's that Jesus truly sympathizes with you in your feelings. And until you and I truly understand that, we're never going to go to him with those feelings. The number one reason we stay away from God 
When we're going through something emotionally, it's because we don't think he cares or we don't think he gets it or we don't think he's close enough to. He sympathizes. See, the Pharisees hated this. They hated that he mourned. They hated that he weeped. They hated that he wasn't the political figure that they wanted to restore the nation of Israel. See, the Pharisees' problem was, the reason the Pharisees hated Jesus so much is this right here. They had a full head and an empty heart. They had everything you can imagine stored up here. But they didn't have a single thing here. And all throughout the Gospels, Jesus and the Pharisees just don't get along. Jesus feels. And then you look at the Holy Spirit. There are some of you in the room who know what I'm talking about here. There are some of you who have never even thought about the emotions of the Holy Spirit before. But do you know that the Holy Spirit has emotions? And that quite literally in Scripture, the Holy Spirit's emotions are some of the clearest. That there's not this confusion or gray cloud around it, that we can see how the Holy Spirit feels. One of the biggest ways is that Scripture tells us we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Not just that one that I love, is that the Bible tells us, and this is a deep emotional thing, worth a whole sermon, that when you and I are broken, you think about the last time you were at rock bottom, your lowest place, when maybe it was depression Maybe it was loneliness. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was isolation. Whatever it is for you, whenever you were at your lowest place, maybe you had lost a loved one. Maybe your parents got divorced. Maybe you were just at rock bottom. I've had times in my life where I've gone to God in prayer not known what to say. The Bible says that when we are like that, this deep emotional state, that really all of us have experienced at one point or another. For some of us, it could have been yesterday. For some of us, it could have been during COVID, whatever it was for you, that when you're in that deep emotional state and you don't even have the words to say to God, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit can intercede on your behalf and communicate your feelings to God, to the Father. You think about that deep emotional connection, that God's spirit that he has placed in you, that the Holy Spirit in you can communicate for you when you don't even have the words to communicate what you're feeling. You know why? That's a deep, deep connection with God. How do you have that? You have it through prayer. You have it through the word. You have it through scripture, memory, goodness. How can you ever draw near to the spirit if you don't know a single word, a single word that the Bible says about him? Some of us are like, I don't even know how to draw near to the Holy Spirit. It's because we're not even close to God's word or to prayer. We're not trying to draw near to him. But the Holy Spirit feels. So when you look at the Bible, you see the Father feels emotions. You see Jesus feel emotions. And you see the Holy Spirit feel emotions. The reason you and I feel is because God feels. The reason we even have emotions is because God has emotions. And isn't it amazing that for thousands of years we have minimized this? Isn't it amazing that a God who feels so deeply has, for whatever reason, thousands and thousands and thousands of years had people who don't really understand that, that he feels deeply or understand how they are to feel. For years, I've heard, take your thoughts captive. When I was in college, all I heard was take your thoughts captive, take your thoughts captive, take your thoughts captive. And that's a great thing. We absolutely should take our thoughts captive. Our thoughts can ruin our lives. I understand that. But let me tell you this. Do you know what is just as important as taking your thoughts captive? 
understanding the emotions that led to those thoughts. I can take thoughts captive all day long. Until I understand the emotion that's causing them, I'm going to be back to square one day after day. You want to know why some people never make a breakthrough with their thoughts? It's because they're grabbing arrows. They're not going to where the arrows are coming from. Every thought you have is influenced by an emotion. Every single one of them. All those thoughts that come into your brain, they're coming from an emotion. That's the reason why. I mean, if you think about trying to control your thoughts but neglecting your feelings, it's no different than the religious leaders in Jesus' day. There's really no difference at the end. That's why they had so many opinions on the Sabbath, but no love or joy when a man was healed during it. Now go back to our text. He said, a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. What you have here when you look at these two translations is, number one, a heart of stone. What it ultimately represents, what is being communicated to you and I through God's word, is that a heart of stone is unresponsive. A stone does not respond. A stone can't respond. You know what a stone does? It stays idle and it doesn't move. A heart of stone can't feel. A heart of stone is cold and a heart of stone is stiff. It can't truly feel. And that's what the amazing thing is. You can write this down. Is that when God says, I will give you a heart of flesh, what he's truly saying, what's so amazing Right here in the Old Testament, is he saying, I'm going to give you a heart that can feel. That you will no longer be cold-hearted or hard-hearted. You will have a softened heart, one that can feel. And what's amazing is a heart of flesh, the ultimate desire is to feel the love of God and to be able to pass that love onto somebody else. Now, so we see, number one, we have a God who feels. And in us, he is desiring to take our cold heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh, to soften our heart, to place his Holy Spirit living inside of our bodies. This is an amazing thing, praise the Lord. Now this leads us to a big question. <laughs> Number two, are your emotions good or bad? Are your emotions good or bad? I've asked college students over the last few days, mixed responses. You could ask people in the church. You could ask adults. You could ask people in your life. You could ask coworkers. You could ask them, are emotions good or bad? You're going to get different answers. This is a huge question that we get asked. Are emotions good? Are they sinful? When do they become sinful? The great truth here is that God wants you to feel, and he has created you with emotions. That if he didn't want you to have emotions, you wouldn't have had them. If he wanted you to be a cold robot, he would have made you as a cold robot. But for whatever reason, at the very beginning, God has given you emotions at creation. And then along the way throughout Scripture, God is desiring for you to feel even more. It's an amazing thing that feelings add texture. They add variety to our lives. In a lot of ways, feelings are what make us who we are in a lot of ways. So it's his will for you to feel. And that's a relief. Everybody say praise God. Praise God. Man, I'm telling you, because this generation, we know how to feel. I know how to feel. Listen, it's great news. Let's take a moment and breathe. Praise the Lord that his will for you is to feel. Emotions aren't bad. Everybody say praise the Lord. Even better news, emotions are good. God has them. 
He has created you with them. For some reason, we have lived thousands of years thinking we need to suppress them, we need to hide them, we need to lie about them, but feelings are real, and you were meant to feel. You are not meant to be a robot or to be cold. God has made you in his image. Now, emotions are good, and I want you to write this down. In fact, emotions are not sin. Biblically speaking, emotions are not sin. Biblically speaking, emotions are good, just like free will. Free will is a good thing God has given us. Emotions are a good thing God has given us. Here's where this is going to take a turn. Our emotions can lead to sin. Hear what I said. Emotions are not sin, but emotions lead us to sin. In a lot of opportunities, they lead us to sin. Just like free will. Free will is a great gift from God, but it leads us to sin. Sex is a great thing from God. He invented it. It often, though, we choose sin. Food is an amazing thing that we get to eat and enjoy. And yet, if we're not careful, you can pack onto pounds and real quick end up in gluttony because even food can lead to sin. See, it is a good thing to have emotions. It is a blessing from God, but emotions can lead us to sin. Now walk with me through this. So joy can lead us to gratitude and worship. Anger can be a tool that's used against injustices. Even regret can be a reminder for us of, God, of our need for forgiveness. Even sadness. The Corinthians talk about the God of all comfort. If we don't feel sadness, why do we need God's comfort? Even sadness is an opportunity for you to draw near to God. Hear me, that when you feel sad, that is not a sin to feel sad. But what you do with that sadness can either lead to God or it can lead to sin. Even with anger, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Clearly, the Bible shows us that the sin is in the response to the emotion, not the emotion itself. You can be angry and not sin. God wouldn't tell you to do it if it wasn't possible for you. Daniel, what am I supposed to be angry at? A big one is injustices. Injustices that we see when people are mistreated. We're not supposed to just not feel. When you see somebody being bullied and you don't feel anger about that, that's a problem. There's a right way to handle injustices. There's a right way to use anger. But boy, there's a wrong way to use anger. Is there not? Let me get an amen in the house tonight. Man, I'm telling you, we have grown up in certain households, and I don't know your story, but we have grown up in households where anger has not been properly managed and it has not been biblically managed. Anger has torn a lot of families apart. Anger has ruined a lot of childhoods. Not just for you, I'm talking about across the lines of people who are 18 to 24 years old. For a lot of them, their parents got divorced. They watched screaming matches. Boy, we're getting into it tonight. They watched screaming matches. They watched fights over money. And they watched anger just blow up. Listen, when you grow up in that kind of environment, you don't learn any other way to process your anger biblically. You just explode too, or you bottle it up until it all comes out on somebody. There are people in here who know exactly what I'm talking about. I ain't going to ask you to raise your hand. I ain't going to ask you. It, it, it ain't no for nobody else to know, but you know what I'm talking about. Some of you grew up seeing emotions, thinking they're all bad because somebody didn't know how to express them in a godly way. What do you do? I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't suppress it, bottle up, and push it down, and you don't just run around mistreating people. You go to God, number one. If we are going to be a people who understands how to feel, we have to be willing to take our feelings to God. We have to take them to the one who sympathizes with us. <laughs> so, man, let's understand this and break this down for a minute. Emotions are good. The sin comes in our 
response to them. That's why I love the smoke that comes up on the graphic. It's simple. It's, it's, it's clean. I love it because the smoke is colorful and it adds a whole lot of texture and variety to the page. I love it because that's what our emotions do. Our emotions add texture. They add variety. It's such a beautiful picture when you look at emotions that way. But emotions can lead us to sin. Let's talk about how. Thoughts can be sinful. Biblically speaking, emotions and thoughts, let's separate them. What you feel and what you think is different. And we're going to really pick this apart over the next six weeks. What you feel and what you think is very different. The Bible says it. Jesus displays it. What you think and feel is very different. Your thoughts can be sinful. Jesus said if you even think about sleeping with your neighbor's spouse, you have sinned. That a thought can be sinful. But it does not say that the emotion is sin. Here's what happens biblically. The emotion tends to come before the thought. What tends to end up happening is we feel something. And we feed, walk with me here, we feed that emotion with thoughts. We feed that emotion with thoughts. And if we feed an emotion with sinful thoughts, what are you going to get? Sin. And what happens is that emotion leads not just to sinful thoughts, watch this, to sinful actions. That's why if I have a, a, a problem with Dakota, if Dakota, if me and him are meeting somewhere and he opens his car door and it hits my car and he doesn't say anything about it, bro, in that moment I feel this like anger of who does he think he is, <laughs> right? <clears throat> I feel this in me of like, man, he just hit my car and didn't address it. And then I get out of my car and what happens is it's not just that emotion I feel. Man, somebody hit my car. I should be protective of my car. That's fine. I'm feeling that emotion. And so I begin to feed that emotion thoughts about Dakota. Man, you know what? This is what I start thinking. Dakota did that on purpose. Dakota doesn't really like my car. And then guess what? It keeps going. Dakota really doesn't respect my property. And then it goes to, you know what? Dakota's not really a good friend. And then all of a sudden, I don't say anything to Dakota. Time goes on. Dakota hits my car again. And then, boom, the whole car blows up because I'm angry. Steam coming out of my ears. We feed emotions with thoughts. You feel jealousy. Somebody you know wins the lottery. They win $78 million. And you're like, man, I love that money, right? That'd be great for good or bad reasons. I'd love to have that money to retire my mom. I'd also love to have that money to buy a yacht. It doesn't really matter. But you feel that jealousy well up in you. And then what do you do? You feed thoughts about that person into your jealousy. And it leads to this sin. It leads to resenting somebody when there was nothing even there that had to do with you. But you made it about you. Our emotions, when we feed them with sinful thoughts, they always lead to sinful actions. James chapter 1 says that when we pursue our flesh, when we pursue our sin, it leads to death. And that's exactly what happens with a lot of your emotions and thoughts. And man, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a moment here. When was the last time that happened for you? For you as a moment of reflection, when's the last time you had an emotion that you fed with thoughts and it became sin? Think about the thoughts you fed it. I'm serious. Like if you're sitting there zoned out, you're missing the purpose of tonight. What thoughts did you feed that emotion specifically? Get specific with yourself. I've done this with myself all week, trust me. 
I love silence. We don't know how to be silent in this generation. For some of us, we're so uncomfortable. I enjoy it. Okay, you got that moment in your head? Have you thought of one? You don't have to tell me. You don't have to take the mic. Do you know it? Cool. How did it go for you? How did things turn out? Genuinely. Do you regret any way that played out by feeding that emotion with thoughts? All of mine, I wish I could change every step. Every single time I think about an emotion I had that I fed with sin, I want to change every step of it. There's nothing I feel good about in any of those moments. And if you're anything like me, man, you wish you could change things. We can't change the past, but you know what we can do? We can understand our emotions and our thoughts biblically going forward. We know I might be able to change, but we can definitely prevent. For me in high school, loneliness was a big deal. When I was in high school, especially my ninth and 10th grade year, I was incredibly lonely. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was very socially awkward. And I struggled with loneliness in a bad way. There was an emotion I had my ninth grade year. Somebody said something about me at school. I came home, and I remember an emotion I had that was an emotion of just loneliness and feeling numb. I don't know if you've ever been there. And as a ninth grader, what I did with that loneliness, I know some of you can relate, is I had no idea what to do. I didn't know I could go to God. I didn't know God was trying to draw near to me. I didn't know any of those things. And I just started feeding that loneliness with thoughts. See, that loneliness could have been a good thing. Understand this. Looking back on 13-year-old Daniel, in that moment of loneliness, you know what I could have done? I could have done two things. I could have gone to my mom. Or I could have gone to God. Did I do either one of them? Nope. What I did is I stayed isolated. And I fed that loneliness with thoughts. Here's what I fed my loneliness with those thoughts. I told myself for years, man, something's wrong with me. I told myself for years, man, nobody loves me. Everybody else has friends. Everybody else has their circles. Everybody else feels loved. And I told myself for years, I am not loved. What is wrong with me? And it grew and it grew and it grew. And you know where it ended for me? Going into my junior year, finally my mom, she sat down with me and she said, what is wrong with you? And two years, just boom. Two years, just boom. I let every single thing out I had felt for two years. My mom was sitting there like, It was a two and a half hour conversation. And I re- remember the things she told me in the 11th grade. She said, Daniel, why didn't you just talk to me? And the reason why is because I didn't know how to express what I was feeling. And I just fed it with sinful thoughts. Hear me. This is my warning for you tonight. If you are going down that path with an emotion, Only you are the one who can choose to make the decision to stop feeding that emotion with sin and take it to the Lord. Not only that, you're the only one who can talk to your mom or dad who loves you and will probably listen. If you don't have them a mentor, if you don't have anybody else, you have me and Hannah, that you have somebody who you can talk to that is godly. Somebody here at Bellevue who would love to walk hand in hand with you through what you are going through. If it's loneliness, whatever it is. But the longer you keep feeding those emotions with simple thoughts, it's going to take you down a bad path. I wrote this down in my notes. If we're honest, most of our problems we face come from poorly managing the way we feel. It is absolutely true. Be on guard against your feelings. I love what one of our pastors told me a little while ago. He said, feelings are great followers. They're bad leaders. In other words, your feelings are passengers. They're not drivers. 
And one of the big reasons why is Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says this. You know this text. This is the one that's always talked about in church. This is the verse that's always read. This is the verse that, that this is what we know about emotions, sadly. That in the church, largely what we know is that, the, is that the heart is deceitful above all else and incurable. Who can understand it? But the great truth of this, though, is that emotions are not trying to lead you. They're trying to inform you. Your emotions were never meant to control you. They are alerting you and telling you. And here's what they're telling you. They're telling you a need. What you and I do with that, how you and I choose to respond, either leads us to God or it leads us to sin. I need to keep going. Whatever you do with your emotions will impact how you view yourself, people in your life, and your relationship with God. Let me give you number three. Number three is this. What good is a life with no feelings. Man, I'm telling you, I've given you your warning for tonight from the Bible that what you do with them can lead to sin. It is very dangerous. Your feelings are not the driver. Let them be the passenger. They're not the leader. They are the follower. But at the end of the day, what I hope you walk away with sermon number one is, man, how good it is to be able to feel. That we have a God who feels, we have a God who has given us emotions, and we have the chance to feel not just whatever we want, but we get a chance to feel and relate to Almighty God. That is an incredible, incredible a blessing. Students, don't suppress your emotions. Don't allow yourself to run away and try to push them down because the longer you suppress your emotions with people, the harder it is to express them to a holy God. Stop running from what you're feeling inside. Talk to God about it. If it's fear, if it's inadequacy, if it's doubt, if it's confusion, I promise you, God is not overwhelmed by it. I promise you, whatever you feel, God can handle it. But if you don't go to him with it, you're not even giving him a chance to work on your heart. It's in the midst of coming undone in your time with God that he's the one who's able to put you together. But until you and I are willing to come undone with God, we're going to continue to stay tangled in our everyday lives. You want to know how to get rid of that tangled up mess that you feel? Come undone to the Lord. Let him shape what you feel and why you feel it. Feelings and emotions are an amazing thing to have. They can lead to sin, but it is an amazing thing to feel. Jonathan Edwards was a revivalist in the 18th century. He wrote life resolutions. Some of us, we write yeah, New Year's resolutions. We go into January 1st. We're going to go to the gym five days a week. Getting a membership at ATC, Planet Fitness, LA Fitness. There's plenty of gyms around here. This dude, he wrote life resolutions. So this is what he did. It was crazy. He was a very impactful revivalist in the 18th century. He had these life resolutions, and he would review them every week to see how he was doing. And the reason why, it's a cool story, is because he had a vision of who God wanted him to be, and these resolutions every week kept him on track with becoming that person. Isn't that a life perspective? We always go into the new year, man, I want to be better at this and better at that. But, man, he had a vision of who God wanted him to be. And every week he reviewed how he was doing in that area. He had 70 resolutions. 70 of them. You can go read them. You can find them online. 70 resolutions. Number six is one that I loved. Because it's so simple, a lot of people miss it. And a lot of people don't truly experience this. This was his sixth resolution on his list. We'll put it on the screen. It was to live with all my might while I do live. Seems like a simple goal, doesn't it? To actually live while you are alive. Yeah, Chauncey, a lot of people don't live while they are alive. 
We know biblically truly living is abiding in Christ. To know Christ is truly living. That's the only way to truly live. But man, I want to tell you, to live is to feel because we have a God who feels. (laughs) To live is to feel and to feel is to live because one of the greatest ways you know God loves you is absolutely the intellectual knowledge that his word tells you that, to believe that in your core. But man, if we have an emotional God, he wants you to also feel his love. See, to live is to feel and to feel is to live. A positive thing that is often not talked about, but I want to tell you, if you are taking your emotions to God, praise the Lord because he is going to show you how to truly live. He's going to show you how to feel. He's going to show you how to not feel. He's going to show you when you feel something to stay away from that because it's leading to sin and temptation. And he's going to show you how to live and feel victory and joy and peace and all the different things that we want to experience that are always so fleeting to us. It's he, the Lord, who will show you how to not just feel those, but to stay in those, to rest in those. I love it. When When I think about the moments in my life, a great truth comes to mind. And that's that every great moment I've had in my life has an emotion attached to it. If you don't believe me, think about your three greatest moments in life. Maybe it's a graduation. Maybe it's somebody getting married in your family. Maybe it's something with your mom and dad. Maybe it's a birthday. Your three greatest moments. What are they? Pick one. Pick your greatest moment in your life. Don't worry. You're not sticking to it. Just pick one. And guess what? Think about that moment. What was associated with that moment? Do you remember how you felt? Do you remember the feeling that was attached to it? All moments that last have a feeling and an emotion attached to it because we're not robots. We were created to feel. Don't miss out on living by suppressing and hiding and running from what God is doing. No, your feelings are telling you something. But if you go to ungodly people, if you go to social media, if you go to the world, Your feelings and your thoughts are going to be shaped by all three of those. It's going to be shaped by ungodliness. It's going to be shaped by social media. It's going to be shaped by the world. And you're going to find yourself living an emotional wreck. But I'm telling you, night number one, hear me. If you will begin to express truly, vulnerably, to cry to God. Some of us hear that and we we cringe. We're like, I'm not crying, period. I'm definitely not crying to God. And yet, Blessed are those who mourn. What could God do with you when you allow yourself to express what you're feeling to him? He'll shape your desires. He'll shape your wants. He'll shape your life. (laughs) 1 John 4 verse 19 says this in the New Testament. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And then Romans 5, verse 5, says that this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. A lot of us in here are carrying a lot of baggage. And yet when God looks at you, he still loves you despite that. That despite the battles you have, the wins and losses you have, the struggles you have, God still loves you in the midst of that. And in fact, he is calling you to himself. What you do with your emotions will dictate if you are running to God or if you are running to sin. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son. That's the motivating factor behind God sending his son Jesus down to have his arms stretched out, his feet put together, to have nails driven into his body on a cross. The motivating factor was love. Love to restore, love to reconcile, love to unify, that we might not be enemies to God anymore because of our sin, but that we might be renewed to God, that we might be called a friend of God. And it's because he loved and adored us that he sent his son Jesus down to die for your sins and my sins, that his blood pays the payment that you and I have. Love, that he adores you that he wants you, that he cares for you, that he feels all kind of emotions that are love and desire for you. And most of all, what he wants from you is to desire him. Because when you desire him, you worship him, you lift his name, you make much of the name of Jesus. Your life isn't about you, it's about him. And you walk around with a posture that is humble and genuinely seeking to know God, to glorify him and extend his kingdom. My final question to you is this. How are you doing with this topic? Genuinely, how are you doing with navigating and processing the emotions that you have? God is not far from you. In fact, he is very close. But don't choose sin. Choose him. And in him you have everything that you need. And all God's people said, amen. amen.